I'm Lauren, and I'm a veterinarian. I'm JJ, and I'm a veterinary technician. And you're listening to IntroVets, a veterinary podcast by introverts with high-functioning anxiety. Hi, everybody. Welcome (laughs) to the third snack-sized episode of IntroVets. Yeah. This will be sort of the companion episode to our feline diabetes episode. And the feature presentation for this episode is going to be a story about JJ's kitty cat, Raven. Ray Ray. Yeah. Poor kitty. Yeah. The topic of Raven came up when we were recording the feline diabetes episode, and we got onto a lot of really important subjects in that discussion, and the whole thing sort of had to be cut for time. But we felt like it was important enough that we we didn't want to let that stuff go, and we didn't want to re-record it either because we felt like that would maybe, you know, change the amount of authenticity. So we are going to go ahead and revisit that story today and present the original recorded audio. So you might notice some changes in the audio, and for that we apologize, but we felt it was important enough to tell her story that you guys wouldn't mind. So here is Raven's story. In this section of audio, we had just finished discussing the factors that can complicate treatment of diabetes, and pancreatitis is one of them. The pancreatitis one is kind of interesting because I too had a a cat in my past that at the time uh, she was a pretty normal kitty for the time that I'd had her uh, with the exception of some over grooming on her abdomen and the occasional urinary tract infection. She kind of went from that to within about a three day period showing like really, really pronounced signs of uh, PUPD. And I was like, you know, day one, I think she's drinking more water. Day two, she's sucking the water out of the house. What is happening? And, you know, by day three, she was already at the vet clinic on uh, CRI insulin. Um, So she had developed diabetes in a, a, a big hurry. We had taken her to a different clinic for an ultrasound with a, a boarded radiologist. And he said it appeared that she had had chronic pancreatitis which without her showing any signs of and it never really showed up on any lab work that we had done. I was kind of like, was the over grooming showing that? I don't, I don't know how I could have picked that up from her. But another thought uh, that I might have had would have been possibly acromegaly with her mm. just based on her symptoms and, you know, a little bit of working with another cat that had it. Yeah. And you shared with me about her case a little bit before that you guys were having to use very high doses of insulin and sh- her symptoms still weren't controlled. Anytime you're having a diabetic cat where uh, the insulin requirement is insanely high, look for an underlying disease process. And acromegaly is more common in male cats, but I've seen it in female cats. Mm. Um, the others would be, you know, Cushing's disease, uh, but usually there's going to be other symptoms, thin skin and hair loss. Yes, but usually the hair loss is not from grooming activity. It's because it's just falling out. Um, so in that particular case, um, I know it, it did result in a decision for humane euthanasia for you because she wasn't doing well, um, which is always a tough decision and, Mm -hmm. you know, a very personal one. But you were mentioning to me, too, that. Um, yeah, as as far as um, referrals go, and this was just based on, you know, me working at different hospitals and stuff. I, I don't know until 
probably in the last five to seven years, when I would experience uh, working with veterinarians, veterinarians, most of the time referrals weren't offered or didn't happen. And again, that may be kind of a regional thing. It may be with some of the veterinarians I worked for being older, but it was, I mean, my perception was that if you didn't try to keep it in the office and work it up at the office yourself, that it must be that um, if you referred it, that meant you just didn't want to work it up yourself or didn't want to take the time. And I don't know that it just seems so alien to me now that I would think that way, but that's what my experience was because it wasn't common at all for referrals to happen. Hmm. And now um, I can definitely see that that was not the case that, you know, referring some a patient out to a specialist is uh, giving that patient a chance to get different diagnostics done, um, get a whole new set of eyes on it that may be more experienced in that particular area. But um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting that that was my perception hmm. in the past. Yeah, in the recent past. I was supposed to, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this all um, happened in 2007. So mm-hmm. um, I, I guess... In our past conversations about this particular kitty, I remember you you're asking me about referral, and I was like, you know, at the time that wouldn't even occur to me to even ask for. Hmm. Um, if it had been offered, I think I probably would have taken it. You know, of course, you have to worry about cost. You kind of have to be realistic when it comes to, yeah, you know, what's coming and going in your bank account. But you know, I he he did offer for me to go to the ultrasound, and I took that. Um, I think I probably would have taken it farther too. Yeah. Because I mean, my end goal was if what's causing this, because this wasn't behaving like typical diabetes, and can it be fixed? If it can't, then I don't want her, I don't want to continue putting her through these treatments. And, you know, she was getting catheterized once a week for um, IV fluids and uh, CRI insulin because oh. she just couldn't. She would get about maybe a three to five days of slight improvement, but then she would just go right back down to not being able to get up. So Mm. I didn't want to keep putting her through that. And there are several things that you can look at when you have a case like this that's not responding typically, right? Mm -hmm. Most diabetic cats are going to respond really well to insulin, you know, and they're Mm -hmm. going to feel excellent the ones that aren't have some other problem going on. And um, I never want to downplay the importance of the general practitioner. I am one, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I am one and I think I do a good job. But I think it's also very important. Good veterinarians know their limitations. And they don't make it. Mm, they don't make economic decisions for the owner. Mm-hmm. They offer whatever the best medicine is and let the owner decline that. Um, So uh, I think it's unfortunate that referral wasn't offered. Now, would you have accepted it? If you had, would they have found something that dramatically changed the outcome? Maybe not. We might have found something bad and we still end up at humane euthanasia. But what if they'd found something that was manageable um, what if they found something that wasn't manageable, but at least you could potentially have even rested a little bit easier knowing like we made the right decision for us mm-hmm. for this patient. Yeah. Um, so um, there are some clinics that k- keep everything in house and that say referrals aren't allowed. 
And it's my opinion that those are not the type of place that we need to be working. Um, Agreed. Okay. Uh, Now, if you have particular skill in an area and you, you know, I mean, you're working really hard and things, I'm not saying refer everything that you have, but it's not appropriate to prohibit referral because it's needed sometimes. Mm -hmm. And one thing that my first boss used to say was, um, referrals are stress busters, <laughs> you know, like if you have a case and things are not going as planned and you're like, you you know, you're up studying, you're trying things like you, you're through the second or third round of trying things. You, you need to be talking with the owner about that. Mm-hmm. And if they decline it, that's okay. Like keep chopping wood, but if something happens with that patient and the owner finds out later that referral would have been a good option and they don't know about it, yeah, that is not going to end up. Spot. Yeah, that is a terrible liability. Okay. So if, it, if only even just for the liability standpoint, yeah, I firmly believe that you have to offer referral anytime it's reasonable and let the owner decide. Uh, so that's the that's the tack that I take. If I have a case where some weird stuff is happening, like if I was seeing that kitty you describe, okay, um, I would be having the conversation with the owner. This kitty is not responding like our normal diabetic kitties. I've tried all of the things in my typical toolkit. It's not going well. I'm happy to continue to handle the case with you and help you in however, you know, whatever way you need. I'm here for you and I'm going to support you no matter what decision you make and keep working hard to fix your kitty. But I need to make you aware of some options that you have that don't involve me as the primary on the case. And one of those is referral to XYZ facility to see XYZ doctor. In this case, I think an internal medicine referral might have been very helpful. Mm-hmm. And I, I tell them this might be out of your uh, out of your reach financially, travel. I mean, whatever the case, but it's my job to provide you with what the options are and let you choose that's my role as a veterinarian. I don't choose for you. And so this is information we need to go over. And sometimes I get to that point and the owners say, Dr. Greider, thank you for letting us know, but referral is just not something we're prepared to do. And I'm like, great. I recorded in the chart as that's what their goal is. They, they cannot ha- you know, do referral. And then every other decision I make for the case is with that information in mind. Okay, maybe this this would have been ideal, but they, we can't do referrals, so we're going to have to do this instead. I can then refer back to that. Now, on this day, you told me that your goals were not to pursue referral for X, Y, and Z. Is that still your goal? Yes. Okay, then this is what we're going to do. No, Dr. Greider, I think we've changed our mind. We do want to go to the referral. Okay, great. Right. But mm-hmm. you've at least put it out there and allowed them to decline it. And that, that way you're not, you know, that's that should not come back. <laughs> that should not come back to bite us in the butt if mm-hmm. we have gone over things and, and recorded them. And then also there are just some things that in a general practice setting we're not equipped to deal with. And a very sick diabetic cat is one of them. So most general practice clinics aren't 24-hour facilities. Mm-hmm. Most don't staff people to care for patients overnight. So if the patients are staying overnight on IVs and stuff, no one is monitoring them. The world has changed a lot in the past, I mean, hell, even uh, 10 years, right? But Oh, yeah. Um, but especially <laughs> in the last 20 or 30 years, 20 years ago, it was not uncommon at all 
for your vet to keep your pet overnight on fluids and stuff. And it would go through an over 12-hour period of no one checking on it, and then you'd come in, okay? Yeah, and I mean... that That's not the environment we live in anymore. No. As you can imagine, you know, it's not like, you know, people, you can tell them... I mean, I recently had an IV placed, and they were like, don't bend your arm, keep your arm out stretched. And I was like, I wish I could make my patients do that. But you know, <laughs> yeah. they like to lay with their arms underneath them, and they like mm-hmm. to twirl around in the cage and... And wind their IV lines up. So, I mean, it's it's nothing to within 10 minutes of putting a patient into a, a cage and then having them tangle their IV line so that it doesn't flow. So you have to troubleshoot the IV line and the IV pump and fix all that. And if there's nobody there to do that, they're not getting what they need. Yeah. I know you made the best decision for her. I, w- I wish that you had known about all of the options that you had. Yeah. I mean, like you said, I don't think the outcome necessarily would have been any different, but it has, it's been something that's been a little haunting as to like, Mm -hmm. I never knew why. And if there really was something that could be done for it. Um, But Jenny, she was a good kitty. Yeah. A super good kitty. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Anytime you're sharing a personal story about a patient that's your own pet, it's really hard. So I appreciate it. One thing that I do want to mention, the phone-a-friend option. That could be that you're calling a colleague, you know, maybe someone who handles these types of cases a little bit more often than you. It might be that you're, you know, looking on VIN, posting the case, trying to get more information. But the specific thing that I think a lot of people don't know about is that all of the major reference labs, so like IDEX, Antec, Most veterinary hospitals have some sort of a contract with, you know, one or both of those labs. What many people don't know is that as part of submitting samples to those labs, they offer completely free consultations with specialists. Free? Free. Like you are not charged for these things. Can't be that. Yeah. And so say I have a case and I'm like, I don't know what the heck, you know, what the heck am I doing with this thing? I need to learn more information so I can give one of those uh, labs a call. Usually it's going to be printed right there at the top of the results sheet. So at the top of that report will be a phone number for consultations. You just call, select the specialist you want. A lot of times they just like magically hop on the phone right then, but other times they have to give you a call back. But it's super helpful in hearing the internal medicine specialist or the dermatologist, you know, whatever specialty we're talking about, hearing their opinion about how you've worked the case up is super valuable because you're getting that feedback. You're getting it from a specialist, someone who, uh, you know, is at the top of their field in whatever subject. Okay. And then we're using it as a learning opportunity from now on. Now, the next time I see that case come through the door, I know what to do. So like baby vets, all my newbie vets out there, please phone a friend. It is the best mentorship you will never pay for. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I know that, you know, you guys kind of develop a bit of a friendship with them. And yeah, for my last associate position, there was one internist in particular that I always seemed to like get paired with. (laughs) And she would be like, hey, Grider, how's it going? Like She always knew. But like if I was calling her, then it was going to be a complete shit show Mm -hmm. of a case. (laughs) The other thing would be just to 
form close relationships with the specialists that are close to you geographically that you're going to be referring to a lot. So, I mean, I don't think that they get frustrated when I call. I think that they're happy to talk to me, partially because I'm I'm part of their referral base. But also, I mean, they um, are people that have completed like the absolute most education in a subject you can get. Generally, those types of people are pretty freaking excited about educating people like they want to grow baby vets. They want to help their colleagues, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's a really great way to form these good professional relationships. And also, when you make that phone call and you follow up about that weird case and things like that, it just enhances your life as a veterinarian. Yeah. I mean, you not only get to further your own knowledge, but... When you share that with a client, it helps boost that relationship as well, because, I mean, you're going further than the average veterinarian by doing that. It's, it doesn't seem like that would be the case, but it, it definitely is. I've never had a client say, what do you mean you don't know 100% what to do on your own? Get out of here, you stupid, <laughs> terrible general practitioner. Anytime I've ever said, like, I'd like to discuss this case with an internal medicine specialist at no cost to you, clients are like, heck yeah, you know. <laughs> Uh, veterinarians struggle with imposter syndrome a lot. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes we take that imposter syndrome a step way too far and it becomes like I have to hide the fact that I don't 100% know how to respond to this situation. But that's, you know, that's not helpful. What is helpful, though, is providing that client and patient the opportunity to get additional perspectives And man, it helps you learn like there is no better way to learn than to take a case you don't know what to do with and ask people who who are very highly skilled in their field um, and learn from it. So it's Mm -hmm. it's just it's a win, win, win. Like there's no downside. And there's also absolutely nothing wrong with saying the words. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, that's okay. I would prefer it. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Don't make up some weird BS. Mm-hmm. Just say, I don't know, because it's the truth and it's not a big deal that you Absolutely. don't know. <laughs> yeah, just say, I don't know, uh, but I'll find out. I'm going to try my best to find out and then, you know, give a reasonable expectation. So I always say, you know, I don't know the answer to that information, but I'm going to try to find out. And here's how I plan to do that. And here's the time frame I expect to receive a response. And mm-hmm. for those cases, I think following up via email is really helpful because then it saves you like a ton of phone time. You know, um, email is, I don't know, for me, but I type fast. I don't know. Do it however you want. But for for me, um, the idea of having to make like five phone calls is almost completely incapacitating. Mm -hmm. But if I had to send five emails, I'm like, girl, I got this. (laughs) Something about the in-person phone call is just so emotionally draining. Uh, Um, But I guess other people aren't that way. But for me, it is terrible. (laughs) Uh, I hear you. I don't know how many times I do callbacks and I'm like, I want to leave a message. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When you're at the end of the day, especially like, you know, you're calling. It's the last thing. You're so tired. Like on a Friday night, you know, Mm -hmm. you were supposed to close at six, but it's 730 and you're still at the clinic doing callbacks and you're just like praying for that answering machine. Dear sweet baby Jesus, if you could please send me an answering (laughs) machine, we should probably not. Anyway, that's getting into religion. No. 
No religion, no politics. <laughs> Good. Anyway. Dear veterinary Buddha, I will rub your belly. <laughs> Dear flying spaghetti monster, please use your noodly appendages to direct me straight to the answering machine. Anyway. Uh, noodling okay. appendages. I think we have mm-hmm. a name for this one. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, but anyway, so use the phone a friend option. It's there to help you, and it's fr- it's free. It's literally free. Okay, JJ. Yes. We have a question. Shoot. How much does it cost to treat a diabetic cat? Well, the answer to that's a little complicated. Um, we're not allowed to give out specific prices. We don't want to violate any rules. Um, there's multiple factors to go into it, but uh, a good average is around 150 a month. That doesn't mean it's going to be 150 every month. Um, you know, you may have one month where all you're doing is maybe buying some syringes, which isn't going to be terribly expensive, but you may have a month where you have a glucose curve and you have to buy insulin. So, that, of course, would be a little higher. Um, yeah. A good idea, um, and there again, trying to check privilege, <laughs> uh, if you can, it's best to have a kitty cat savings account. You don't want to uh, not prepare and plan and then, you know, go in one month and all of a sudden you're like, okay, it's either buy groceries or pay for the kitty cat's glucose curve. So, yeah. As best you can, create a savings account that you put, you know, budget, put in a certain amount and help build that up. Um, There's also some other options, too. I mean, not telling people that they need to run out and get credit line or anything like that, but uh, care credit. Usually you get, depending on if you qualify, you get a uh, 0% interest rate or a low interest rate for a period of time for you to pay it off. I think it's most common, like six months. Um, so that a lot of people use that as an option, too. I know I have to. So those are some some ideas. You know, budget for 150 a month, you should be covered. And it, some months it's going to add up a little faster because you're not going to use all of that. But that's going to be helpful if you have unexpected issues as well. So, yeah, and it is tough because diabetes is one of the more expensive types of chronic diseases to manage if we're say saying it in comparison to something like hyperthyroidism where the medication is generally very inexpensive you mm-hmm. know it's tough i always have that conversation with owners and prepare them you know like this is a lifelong thing even if we achieve a remission many cats come back out of remission eventually mm-hmm. and we don't know if that's going to be in days weeks months or years but we need to be prepared for it and certainly there's a percentage of cats that don't ever achieve a remission. And for those kitty cats, you know, these are long-term expenses. These kitties need monitoring, blood work. They need to see their regular vet more often mm-hmm. than animals in the same group that don't have diabetes. I think starting a savings account is important and making sure that we bank a little bit again for that diabetic emergency um, because they happen. Certainly making sure that we stay up with our wellness care um, and diabetic monitoring is a good way to prevent them, but nothing completely prevents emergencies as we know. So mm-hmm. um, start that savings account, you know, Susie Ormond it, do a little <laughs> bit every month. I mean, whatever we can do, because over time it will add up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we had sort of a more heavy start to the episode. Um, but JJ was telling me a story the other day um, 
<laughs> that we really need to share with all of you. So JJ is going to tell us about a client interaction that she's had in the past. The setting was an exam room and it was a nice little elderly lady that was a pretty frequent flyer. She had several kitty cats that um, she had brought in pretty regularly. And she had one carrier. You could tell it probably lived like in a garage. You know, even though the cats were frequent flyers, the carrier was always kind of, you might want to be careful as you're moving things around because there were spider webs on it and that sort of thing, which is not uncommon. I mean, most people store their carriers somewhere out of the way. But uh, as I was removing her kitty from the carrier, lo and behold, a perfectly intact, dead, giant, might take your shoe away from you and hit you back with it, brooch came out and landed in the middle of the exam table. Like, there was no pretending it didn't happen. I mean, there was like an audible noise as it landed on its back, legs straight up in the air. Like it clicked onto the table. Oh, no. Yes. And I was just like, I mean, I I froze kind of because I had like the cat in one hand and uh, the other hand was in the air heading toward the carriage to close the door. And I'm like... And she and I both looked at it and I mean, probably a good second or two went by because I was just like, all right, I had decided I was just going to ignore that it happened. Maybe good. casually good uh, use the chart to brush it off the table <laughs> and hope it was really dead um, and didn't start flying or something. But instead, before I had a chance, she sort of very casually reached her little shaky arm out, picked up said roach mm-hmm. and slid her perfectly cute little you know the old lady coin purses have the little clasps Mm -hmm. opens up the clasps and placed it carefully into that and closed it (laughs) and i'm just like i watched her this whole thing and it's like me and the cat both were like the what are you doing (laughs) and then slid it back over and then looked at me like i dare you to say something And my first thought was, lady, what's going to happen when you go to Walmart to buy something and this roach falls out of your wallet? Because I was just like, are you crazy? (laughs) What? (laughs) What just happened? Yeah, I don't know. Like, what? What? Why was she saving that for later? I don't know. I mean. For sure, it was not a fake one. It it was a real crispy (laughs) I mean, when I was worried that, you know, parts of its legs or something would fall off as it hit the table because Mm -hmm. it was obviously having been for a while but yeah it Mm -hmm. was it it, because of the carrier i dealt with several times i mean it wasn't unusual for some a a critter to come a crawling usually it was a spider i was not really prepared for something so large because i mean i don't know how much people know about southeast but we have bugs here we have lots of them and we grow our roaches big and some of them are intelligent (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's it's a little, it's it's frightening. And so it, it's, you know, a spider, I can kind of, I mean, I don't really want it crawling on me, but most of them are small when it comes to hiding in the carriers. And I can deal with that. But the, I mean, it wasn't like a reach your arm out really quickly and, and try to hide it. It was, it was like it was planned. She just reached that arm out, carefully picked it up placed it in there clasped the wallet shut Alrighty then but maybe that was the uh the beginnings of my fake roach pranks <laughs> yeah i mean so i do i think it's really important to point out that jj is a connoisseur of fake roaches and just they're very photorealistic real looking rubber i guess mm-hmm. cockroach kind of a plasticky but it's pliable 
it's not like the fake kids cockroaches that are like you know that you pick up and the whole thing moves as one unit like are they these are realistic like the wings move independently the little things are like the leggy hairs are flexible like every part of it is a <laughs> it looks real and jj would always get in mild something trouble i don't know if trouble is the right word you would well she would hide them around the clinic like in places that would specifically freak people out yeah like the refrigerator i tried to like have it in places that you know of course clients wouldn't come in contact with it although (laughs) hopefully uh we had these jars of like just it was just full of basically the same material pill pockets are made of but it was just a big jar of it so you can get out what you wanted and form a little ball pill wrap yeah and i put some in that and it didn't i don't know why it didn't it should have it didn't occur to me that maybe one of the doctors would take that into an exam room and (laughs) that happened (laughs) and the doctor was not amused yeah i I bet they weren't they i got i got in trouble for that one but that's the only one i've really gotten in trouble for the rest of them have all been like like the receptionists are always really good victims because you can like put them like inside a drawer, something like that. Or there was a time that I, I taped one to your phone. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Not cool. What well, was cool. really fun is that you had had like a 10 minute conversation before you even realized it was there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That is accurate. And it was like an important conversation. I mean, I don't know the specific one, but it was not like a, hey, how are you doing, client type of thing. It was like a detailed, the patient is sick. We have to look at several options, like long phone consultation. And I kept feeling something kind of like brush my face or like something. It felt like maybe there was like a hair on the receiver or something like that. And so I kept like, you know... Brushing my hair aside or something like that. It and, was tickling uh, you with its little legs. Yes, it was caressing me <laughs> with its little gross rubber feet. I couldn't figure out what it was. And then finally, it really like brushed against me. <laughs> and I pulled the receiver away and looked at it. <laughs> of course, the client is still like talking on the phone. And I'm like, what? Um, but JJ had like scotch taped the roach, not even to the ear part. It was to the mouth part, you know? And so it had been like gently caressing my lips and stuff with its little feet the whole time I was flipping, talking on the phone. And so like if I hadn't known about the fake roaches ahead of time, it's very possible that I would have like flipped out, thrown the phone, like the whole thing. Anyway. I did try to engineer a revenge scenario with like oh yeah trying locker. to catapult the roach out of your locker when you opened it, but it did not work. Yeah, it 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 didn't. Other people no. did get me though. I mean, my other favorite thing to do is try to, uh, and I I'm really good at it. Is as someone's walking by, just kind of plop one in their pocket and JJ <laughs> So you, <laughs> you reach down in your pocket to get something and oh no, what the hell, man. <laughs> Come on. I mean, it all started because I had an office manager that was like petrified of roaches, like would climb up on her desk and scream if there was like one in the vicinity. I mean, if you put a fake one anywhere in her office, she wouldn't go in there. 
she's like i don't care it could be real <laughs> could animate i know there was a specialist that uh, used to come and do surgery at different clinics and i knew that she was going to that clinic that i used to work at after she left the one that i was at right then so I, I got an envelope and put a fake roach in there and addressed it to the office manager and said could you drop this off at her office for me yeah i heard about that one later <laughs> i mean what come on <laughs> you have to keep yourself entertained. I mean, if, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, otherwise you go crazy. But yeah, nobody likes me around Halloween because that's when I <laughs> replenish my supply. <laughs> well, if you have a story to send us, if it's a veterinary case, a fun client story, such as the roach in the pocketbook one, anything goes, we'd love to hear it. Absolutely. Send it to introvetspodcast at gmail.com. And thank you for listening. Yay. Bye-bye. Bye.